You know, we always had different things going on at the church, and uh, last night we had our men's uh, we had our men's potluck, and it was really good. And one of the things that is characteristic of a men's potluck is there's just a lot of food. I mean, we just had a ton of food, and it was really good. And this is a food that, that in a lot of cases, the men themselves made. So it's really, it's really a, a great time. But you know, in all the things that we do, we have these different things like potlucks, we have women's retreats, we have, we have our youth and our CYA get-togethers, dinners. We're going to have a staff meeting even tonight. You know, all these times of getting together, and you, you see them in the bulletin, I hope that you'll take advantage of it because really one of the key things underlining why we do this is that we're coming together not because we're, we're, we're you know, because we have an interest in the Dodgers or, 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 or because we're, you know, we're trying to save the spotted owl or something like that. Everything has to do with our common faith. And as we get together and we're getting together Consciously or subconsciously, because of that, because of our common faith, it, it helps strengthen us. You know, this is a tough world to be a Christian. It's not easy out there to be a Christian. When I say be a Christian, that means to live that Christian life. And we need to be reinforced. We need to be reminded. We need to feel that connection with other people around us that say, yeah, I believe like you believe. I believe this book that called the Bible is God's word, and it is something important so, you know, take advantage of these times of fellowship. You know, you may say, oh, well, you know, I'm not hungry tonight. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with connecting and being a part of the body of Christ and being that light in this dark world we live in. If this is a, um, a connection card, we have that in your bulletin. Uh, I invite you to take time right now to, to fill this out. There are uh, opportunities on the back for you to ask questions or you to bring any, anything to our attention that you like. And um, uh, especially if this is your first time, we'd appreciate that. But we ask everyone to do this. And after you're done, you can just leave it on your pew. As you're doing this, I'll just bring some other things to your attention. You'll notice that inside your bulletin, you also have a half sheet like this. This is for the mother-daughter banquet. And this is really a pretty special thing. One thing I really love about this they're, they're saying, um, uh, don't miss your chance to, and they say, support the next generation, uh, support, support your pastor's wife. Oh, Chelsea, Chelsea's going to be speaking. I was, I was, in the, was my, my wife involved in this? I didn't. But Chelsea, where's Chelsea? Oh, she's working with the kids. Chelsea's going to be speaking at, the, at the, um, the mother-daughter banquet, and then support another lady in the church, look around, and adopt a mom a daughter, a grandmother, or granddaughter as your guest. That's a neat idea. And uh, there's a cost involved that's at the bottom, but keep this in mind. It's just a neat opportunity to, like I said, not only have fellowship, but uh, to come together with those who have a, a similar faith that you have. On the back, we're also talking about, we have our, our deacons meeting today. And this Thursday is our first meeting for our our uh, 5K run that we sponsor for the West Covina Senior Center. It'll be this Thursday at, uh, let's see, 7 o'clock in the conference room at the church, Thursday evening. So if you're interested to find out more about what we do as a church for this, uh, no, no commitment needed.
But if you'd like to just find out more and see if the Lord wants to move you in the direction to help in this very special ministry, you know, please come to that meeting and we can talk about it. You can ask questions and just see what we do. Okay? So there are other bulletins on the back. Please take note of them. Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing in our story, uh, our study of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 25. And uh, uh, if you don't, uh, the scriptures are going to be on the screen behind me. You know, as you do that, we do know that Paul, he planted that church. And we talk about church planting. That means that to go into an area and especially an area that doesn't have a Christian church, and then that, that church planter is going to start to go out and go into different situations where he is actually letting the people know that I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to have this meeting. If you're interested, please come. And a lot of times it starts as a very small group. Maybe in today, the 21st century, they'd meet at McDonald's, and then maybe meet at someone's house. And then eventually they get to a point where they're actually like a, 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 a church body meeting together and starting to actually, little by little, growing in their number and also growing in their, their identification with Christ as a body, in, uh, a local body in the, in the kingdom. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting with 25. I'm just going to read verses 25 to 32, Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing whatever useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. Father, as we are, are opening up uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, we know this, this is also a letter to us, that your plan through all the centuries was for us to be, be here this morning to receive from you and to learn from you and to understand from you what it means to, to be a light in this world, what it means to be actually a living example of that new creation in Christ. So bless this time. Speak to each one of us in the way that would best speak to our hearts because we are all in a different place, Father, as we move forward in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you have any old clothes? Uh, I had to go through my closet a few weeks ago, and I, you know, I come across some of this old clothes. Now, for, I think especially for guys, we have a tendency to hold on to our clothes way too long. You know, I came across uh, uh, some jeans that had some appropriate rips in them, you know, 
And you know, sometimes, you know, you know when, when the jeans have a rip here or there or a hole here and there, they kind of look kind of cool. But you know, when, when you're my age, you just look cheap, you know? And so it's, it's important to go through our clothes once in a while and just, I, you know, just kind of renew them. I know you ladies, I think you ladies do it much easier than guys. I think because a lot of you ladies enjoy shopping. And so there's a, there's a, there's a you know, you got to get rid of some to make room for the new. But us guys, you know, I think some of you guys probably got some of your high school stuff still at home. You know, it's, it, it can just add up. But you know, when it comes to what we wear, when we talk about from a spiritual sense, God cares about how we look. God cares about how we look, how we Christians look to the world. God cares about how we look, even when we think of ourselves and how we look to ourselves. God cares about how we look. It, you know, it's kind of like Disneyland. If, I, think, I think, you know, because we're in Southern California here, there's a good percentage of you who probably worked at Disneyland one time or another. And Disneyland has this dress code. I mean, if you're going to work for Disneyland, you've got to wear Disneyland clothes, right? You've got to look like you are part of the kingdom. Well, today we're going to talk about that, let's say, dress code for God's kingdom. Because God has a dress code for us. And I think some of us are in violation of not lining up with God's dress code. And we'll do this by looking at uh, what Paul says here about, about how it is for us to appear to our world you know, as Christians. So today we're going to talk about what it means to live the Christian life. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to get into this and talk about some, hopefully, some very practical things for us this morning. I know that Paul wanted them to be very practical for the church in Ephesus. So we're going to first talk about that we want to have newness in our life. We want to be new in what we say. Isn't that interesting about what we say? You know, realize that, you know, think about how you talk to people around you. Think about how you communicate to people around you. You know, I, I guarantee it's not 100% really good and really effective and really how the other person hopes that you're going to communicate to them. And realize this is, this is something that is just one of those things in the Bible where it's just like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. That people back in Paul's time had problems with what they said and, the, and, and things they would how they communicate to people, and we have it today in the 21st century. And so God, God is here showing us, hey, how can we show that newness of our life in the things we say. Now, before we get into what Paul says about what we say, let's back up a little bit and let's look at verses 22 to 24. 22 to 24, Paul wrote these words. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, this is where we begin. This is Paul, Tom, he, we're backing up here before we get into our text today. We're backing up here because this helps us understand 
that what Paul is talking about is a choice. That every person has choices, right? And as a Christian, you have a choice to keep on living the life as you were raised before you knew Jesus, living your life as the world kind of dictates we should live our life, living your life as you yourself as to say, this is who I am and this is how I want to live and this is how I want to act and this is how I want to talk. Paul is saying, realize that because you have faith in Jesus, you have a choice. That God is saying, you do not have to live like that old person. You have a choice to live like the new creature in Christ. I want you to appear to the world and to have in your heart. Because why is that? Why is that so important? Because what we, what we do and how we appear to the world is how the world gets a glimpse of God. Right? They see God in us. So what the, Europe, the people around you see in you in regards to God is how they figure God is. So let's go down, let's jump forward uh, to 25. Chapter four, 4, verse 25. Therefore, anytime you say that word, therefore, that's why we went back a little bit. Therefore, because... Because Paul is saying, hey, you have a choice. Because Paul is saying, it's time for you to take off the the old self. It's time for you to put on the new self. Because of this choice you have, now he's going to get into it. This is how your life should be. Therefore, each of you must put off, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Realize that in the original language, when Paul talks about putting off and pulling on, it's just like if you're talking about clothing. Like, take off a piece of clothing and put on this new piece of clothing. That's how the the same words here. So metaphorically, here's Paul is communicating this action to, to the Christians there. Paul is saying the words that come out of your mouth reflect who you are and ultimately how people see God, and that is important because you are God's ambassador. He's saying, so because you're God's ambassador, you must put off falsehood. In other words, stop speaking stuff that isn't true. You may be saying, I don't lie. Yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch of different forms in this. Because sometimes it's very easy for us not to lie by but well, to actually not lie, but we are lying because we're not telling the full truth. We're telling half-truths. We're eliminating some things. We're not saying everything that we should be. And that is not speaking in truth. Sometimes we exaggerate. Do you ever exaggerate? Do you ever exaggerate when someone asks you something and you say something? You exaggerate, and sometimes you have a tendency to make yourself look better. That's how we are by nature many times. And, and when we do that over and over again, we create a pattern of how we live. It's almost like a cart that goes over the same road, over that same dirt road in the same place over and over again. We start grooving out these, these patterns of how that cart goes. And we have a hard time getting out of it. But Paul is saying, because you have faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you that option, and God can help you break that pattern if you're willing. See, if we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 26, 
This is what's written there. It says, when my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices. So when we talk about falsehood or anything that comes out of our mouth, realize it's, it's not our tongue's fault, but it's coming from something within. What comes out originates from what's within. And we know that the heart of Christianity is what's inside you. Jesus is always talking about the problem isn't outside, it's inside. The problem is what's in you. It's problem in your heart. It's problem in your attitude. It's problem in the way that you are wired inside. And yet God is saying, hey, you willing to change? I can help you. But you got to be willing to change. You've got to choose it. Look at verse 29 in our that we're going to jump in our Ephesians chapter 4 from 25. Now let's look at verse 29. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There is a lot of unbeneficial stuff going around. If you think about what people say, if you watch television, you listen to the internet, you just hang around the water cooler maybe at your business, you'll hear a lot of unnecessary junk going around that just enters your ears. I can even ask you this morning, is, 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 does profanity come out of your mouth way too easily? I'm really thankful. I remember my dad. My, I've never heard one curse word out of my dad's mouth. He's 94. I've never heard one word, curse word, come out of his mouth. My kids cannot say that, but I can say that about my dad. Think about it. When someone cuts you off on the freeway, I mean, do you, all of a sudden, do you sound like some drunken sailor? I mean, I mean, think of these situations that come up, that can come up in a moment, and things that just pop out of our mouth. Yeah. Again, here's Paul saying, we, when you think about it, what is Paul saying? Hey, think about it. Do you want to change? Don't realize you don't have to keep on doing this. That's what he's telling the Ephesians. You, you, you don't have to keep on expressing your impatience, and expressing your stress, expressing your lack of your love, your extensive vocabulary that isn't godly. You don't have to do that. You can change. If you want. So he's saying, put on that new attitude. Put on that new attitude of the mind. It's your choice. That's all he's working on right now. See, God can change that pattern of our speech. And it's a process. I'm not saying it's going to be like that. But it is a process that once you decide, and instead of going this way, you're going to go that way, and you start walking down that road, God's going to help you in this process that you are going to be changing. You're going to be changing. So, newness in what we say, let's go on, and newness in our view of anger. Now, this may be really challenging for some of you. Look at verse 26, 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. 
You know, is there such a thing as righteous, good anger? Yeah, we do see it. We see it. If you know your Bible, uh, if you've been in Sunday school, there's that story where Jesus goes into the temple and he sees these money changes and they are just ripping off people with the exchange rate they're giving. If you've traveled overseas, you know that that exchange rate can make a big difference on how much you can buy and your buying power. These guys are ripping off these people who are coming into Jerusalem for the Passover and things. Jesus, what are you guys doing? You're making the temple like a den of thieves. And he starts turning over tables and chasing the guys out. That is righteous indignation. That is righteous anger. That's standing up for God and what is right. But Paul knows that the majority, when it comes to anger, it is triggered by sin. It's triggered by personal offense. Wait a minute. What did you say my dog looked like? What? What are you doing in my lane? Uh, uh, get out of my lane. This is my lane. This is this, this my right to take this lane. Get out of it. Right? You can, weren't we supposed to be here at 10 o'clock? It's 11 o'clock. Hey, didn't we say 10 o'clock? You know, there's so many different ways we can get angry. And just because you're not raising your voice and your veins aren't popping out, it doesn't mean inside you're not boiling away. It's still anger. And what does it show? It shows that side of us that really is not that side that God wants in our lives. It's that, it's that pride, it's that jealousy, it's that ego. It's that certain attitude that basically is saying, my way. Hey, buddy, my way or the highway, you know. Get with it. But when we do get angry, Paul knows that we are going to get angry at times. What does he say? If you do get angry, then don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't think that it's okay to hold on to your anger towards someone or some situation. Some of us think that. Some of us think it's justified. It's okay. I can hang on to that. I'm going to just let that smolder me about that person. I don't like that person in the first place. So it's okay. They always do this to me. So I'm not going to worry about it. But Paul saying no. Know that God's way, that is whenever anger comes up in you, you must work toward getting it out. You must work and recognize this is not something good for me. I must get it out and consciously make that choice to get that anger out. See, what we're talking about here is we're talking about things that goes a lot deeper than anger. I mean, than, than just our personal daily, you know, attitude toward things. Because Paul goes on to say, if you don't do this, if you don't see anger as something you need to get out of you as fast as you can, then what's going to happen? You're going to give the devil a foothold. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, first of all, anytime we're talking about what we call practical renewal, practical renewal is, in other words, the newness of your life in a practical way as you live your daily life. Anytime we talk about practical renewal of a person, that touches upon and is linked to spiritual warfare. Why is that? 
Well, let's back up a little bit. Spiritual warfare, what am I talking about? Let me just say this in a very simple way. If you believe God is real, you better believe that the devil is too. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare, and we look at the Bible and what, the, what the God's word says about the devil, about Satan, about God's enemy, the last thing he wants to see is you living like that new person. The last thing the devil wants to see is you to take off that old person and put on that new person. The last thing the devil wants to see is you moving forward in being a Christian and being more like Jesus. So Paul's saying, you want to do these things, you want to get rid of anger. Why? Because if you don't, you give the devil a base of operations in your life. That's a foothold. You know, you know when I thought of a foothold, when I first read this years ago, I pictured someone knocking at your door, ringing the doorbell, then you open the door and you say, no, I don't want it, and they put their foot in the door, and they, you can't close the door anymore. But in a way, that's how it is, right? Once you allow Satan to get in part of your life, hey, it's pretty tough to close that door. And that's what Paul is saying here. So you, you need to address things the way God says. And when it comes to anger, God is saying, get rid of it. Don't let the sun go down on it. Don't let it happen. Have that new attitude of mind. And that new attitude of mind for you today might be, wow, I think I need to work on that. That if I get angry, I have to understand. I have to try to get rid of that anger as fast as possible. That may be that newness of mind for you. So anyway, new in our view of anger. Let's go on. Paul goes on with his practical teaching. New in our view of money. Look, let's look at Ephesians 4, chapter 28. Paul wrote, He who has been stealing must steal no more, no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. You know, I'm sure when the group in Ephesians heard this, there are some of them thinking, oh, gosh, that means i got to get a job. You know, but when you think about it, this is tied to the second greatest commandment. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So what Paul is talking about here, why do you need to work to make money? This teaching isn't about the need to work. This teaching is about the understanding that when you have received money and know that money, are, what we receive is as from the Lord, that is not just for you. It's for you to share. It's definitely for you to help you, to bless you, to provide for you, but it's also to share, to share your money. Sometimes it's tough, because sometimes God asks us to share out of real sacrifice, and there are enough examples in the New Testament that shows how God has worked in the lives of people when they share in sacrifice, like the woman who gave that penny at the offering. That was such an enormous amount of money for her, but that poor widow. 
I'll, I'll share something personally, and I'm embarrassed about it, even when I think about it. You know, uh, in my twilight years, which I'm in, I get very reflective, and I and and I think God brings to mind things that I've done in my past that that He wants to make sure I do not repeat. Uh, one of those things has to do with there's a a, a very good friend of mine, and um, do you guys remember when the Ah, remember when real estate was going nuts in the late 70s and real estate was just going boom, 20% a month and everything was just going up and up and people were putting money into this and putting money into that. and It was just a wild financial time. I had a very close friend that put, just rolled that, that part of the economy and it was trying to build things and put money here and there and, and, and then everything crashed, which eventually did, you know, Interest rates all of a sudden shot up to even as high as 20%, and everything didn't sell, and he's stuck with all these things, and and, uh, lost all this money. He was a very good friend, and I knew that he was very desperate for money and that he was going to move to Georgia to just kind of start brand new. At that very time he was going to move to Georgia, I was ready to move to Brazil um, to be... uh, I was preparing to be a missionary in, in the Amazon area of Brazil, and I was real close to jumping on a plane. He was real close to jumping on a plane for Georgia. We got together for lunch. And before we got together for lunch, I really felt the Lord saying to me, you know, Rick, you've got to be generous with this friend of yours. You've got to be generous with him. You, I want you to give sacrificially. And as we're sitting there at lunch, and he's telling about his, you know, what he plans to do, and, and we're just kind of having a good guy-to-guy conversation, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't pull out my checkbook. I just started thinking about different things, and I just couldn't pull out my checkbook to write him what I thought I was going to give him. So I gave him a big zero. And he went his way, I went my way, and, and when I got home, I just felt miserable. And I felt that I, that, I, that I failed him. I felt that I failed God. I felt that I, I, I failed myself. And I, I don't think I will ever, ever forget that. I lost complete contact with this guy. I don't know where in the world he is. But I lost that opportunity of actually obedience to God and looking at money the way he wanted me to look at money. This is from him. And he wants to use me in, in, in being different in this world. Yeah, so that old saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak in some place. I will never forget that. Practical renewal is a process of forming new patterns of thought and new patterns of value. When it comes to giving to others, for many of us, it includes uh, it, it only stems from having a new attitude toward money. Let's go on. Let's go to our last point. Our last point here is Paul wants us to have a new view of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 30 here. In Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That is, you know, if we really think about what that verse says, it is very comforting. It's, 
really comforting if you really think about it and grab onto it. Because Paul is saying that, that we are sealed. You know when you seal something? I mean, you seal it, you make it airtight. Water can't get to it. It's not going to get dirty. It's going to be protected. Or oh, we are sealed for redemption. In other words, we're a package. It's almost like you gave it to that UPS guy and you say, I know it's going to get there. That's not an advertisement for UPS. But the Holy Spirit has sealed us for redemption. It's that's a neat feeling of knowing that. And it's, it's a pretty powerful statement because then Paul goes off, goes off and, and he gives us also this sense of ownership. The ownership of us by God, that security that we belong to the Lord now because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So what is this all leading up to? Paul is saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to grieve? Well, you guys all know what grieving, grieving is. If you lose someone you love, you grieve. Paul chose that word because Paul is telling us as Christians, realize that God loves you. And when we are not living that right life, we grieve him. We grieve him. So when we think of the Holy Spirit, there's grieving in, us, in, in him because of how we live our life many times. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 16. Paul wrote, this is another letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. For we are the temple of the living God. That means that the Holy Spirit takes residence, takes up residence in each believer. In each person who calls Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes residence in that person. And he's there for two reasons. Number one, realize that, that Jesus said, why is the Holy Spirit coming? I'm going to leave, but he's coming in. And why? The Holy Spirit's coming down to work amongst you because his work is to convict the world of sin. So if that Holy Spirit is inside of you and you are living a life that is sin or disobedience to God, that is a time for grieving for him. Oh my gosh, what's he doing? What are you doing? Stop it, stop it. You know? You ever see that? My kids told me to see that movie. What is it? That Disney cartoon? What is that one where they're showing all these emotions inside and their characters inside? Inside out? I didn't see it, but I can just kind of picture all these emotions inside screaming. And the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, when you... When we live outside of how God wants, we grieve the Holy Spirit because his work is to convict the world, including us, of sin, which is basically missing the mark, not living the way God wants us to. The second thing, the Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ. How? Through the transformation or the renewing process of Christ's likeness in each believer. So in other words, we're supposed to be on a path becoming more and more like Christ. Each one, if you say you're a Christian, then you, sh you need to get on that path if you're not on it. And if you are, you're, we're at different points in that path. But the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us to make those, 
to be, be transformed more to be like Christ in the way we think, our perspective of the world, the way we love, the way we forgive, the way we obey, all these different things. And so when we don't walk that path to become more like Christ, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Paul says here, he's telling the, the, the Ephesians, hey, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. And so the more we resist that inner process of change, the more grief there is. So because of this and more, it's time to get rid of your old genes. Yeah? Because of what we've just gone through, it's time to start clearing out your closet of this old stuff. It's time to take off the old, and it's time to put on the new. It is a choice that is all yours. God wants you to do this, but he'll never twist your arm to do it because that's part of you showing how much you love him. If he twisted your arm to do it, you know what? It doesn't show love. It just shows you don't like your arm being twisted. When you choose to live God's way, hey, that's a sign of your love for him. God wants to give you that new spiritual wardrobe, and it's time for us to start dressing like we belong in the kingdom. Okay? Let's pray. Father, as we uh, look at this letter from Paul, and we are challenged, it's an invitation, but it's also a challenge, Father, for us to take a little bit of evaluation and look at our lives and think of how we deal with those around us, loved ones, and the people in our world. It's a time to think about how we, how we live our life for you, or if we are or not. It's a time, Father, for us to just kind of to, to evaluate and to make that decision. Lord, I do want to live that life for you. I do want to go down that path. I do want to wear that new spiritual wardrobe you have for me. Help us to do that, Lord. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.